Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hi, I'm Peyton Gonzalez, and our scripture reading is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not see, uh, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our sermon today and in the text we're going to read this week, we are going to be introduced to one of the most important figures in all of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is he's such an important figure because uh, he wrote most of, most of what was written after the Gospels in our Bible. He, his writings form much of our theology as Christians. And he also took the Gospel, the good news about Jesus, and he began planting churches all over the ancient world. He, he was a world changer. But one of the most important things about Paul was to understand his transformation to receive the gospel. It's an incredible story. It's a dramatic story about how someone is such a least likely individual can be transformed by God's grace. So Paul was actually first named Saul. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was a leader of the Jewish faith. He was zealous for God, and he really truly believed that his role was to protect Israel, protect the true religion of Israel. And in Acts, his particular focus uh, for his disdain was this small movement of people who were following the way of this man who was crucified named Jesus. So the first time we actually see Saul was at a stoning, which is like an ancient way of how people killed others especially if they had uh, religious transgressions. And so this man named Stephen was brought in front of all of these uh, religious leaders for supposedly taking the Lord's name in vain. And uh, after a while, they decided they had, to, they had to stone him. And all of the individuals laid their cloaks out of respect at the, 
at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that is the first time we are introduced to this individual. And it almost sets this ominous tone, this fearful tone. Uh, even in Scripture and Acts, we find that his role was he was spreading, spreading murderous threats all around the region, looking for Christians so that he could imprison them, torture them, and even kill some. And so that is our understanding of, uh, of who Saul is. That's like the before. But then Saul had an unforeseen encounter with the grace of Jesus. As he was on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a heavenly light, and then he was questioned questioned by Jesus himself. The voice of Christ was speaking to him in this surprised, uninvited moment of grace. And Jesus, Jesus asked him, why are, you, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Like, why are you coming after me? And then Jesus then sent Saul, now blinded, to go to the very people he was seeking out to persecute and to kill. But this time, these Christians were going to care for Saul, going to help restore him, to teach him about the gospel of Jesus. And this dramatic transformation takes place. And I often wonder, with stories that seem somewhat removed, almost a little too dramatic, I wonder if we just have this liberty to distance our own lives from a story like this. And I've wondered sometimes, what would it be like to take a story like that and translate it in modern day experience? So that's what I did this week. Today's sermon is going to be quite different. Taking a ton of liberty, I, have, uh, I have, uh, would like to retell the story of the conversion of Saul in modern day terms, hopefully so that we could see uh, the power in this moment for you and I and God's transforming redemptive work for us. Saul was a learned man. Though he could have gone anywhere, he chose to attend the most prestigious Ivy League schools. He went to these historic Christian schools so that he could learn to defend the faith in the presence of the most despicable Christians. Those who have the veneer of virtue, yet whose faith have been locked away by postmodern intellectualism. Wolves in sheep's clothing, Saul would often say. Believing seminary, more certain of his faith than ever before, he decided that he needed to teach others how to believe like he did, how to defend the faith, lay hold of critics, and take on this world. So he started a blog, and he began to realize the more critical he wrote, the more followers he gathered. So then he began writing books. These books lacerated young people who were caught up in vague spirituality, progressives lost in their social gospel, and Bible thumpers for their lazy intellectualism. He happily took on the world. He took on anyone in the name of Christ. Rarely would Saul win a convert, but he would quite often multiply the zeal of his admirers, and he had many. After hitting the New York Times bestseller list, it was no longer enough to grapple with modern culture through written form. He wanted to do it eye to eye. He wanted to teach his fans how to defend the faith by dividing the masses. He was a polarizing figure, and of course, Saul's favorite quote of Jesus was, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So that is what he did. Mostly focusing on college campuses for young people are the ones who still believe that they can change the world. He would pack out auditoriums with his lectures. The crowds usually were mixed, 
Some were his disciples eager to see their hero at work, and many more came to take on this vile Christian. This was the very case on one evening in Damascus, Georgia. It was a night like any other. The auditorium had a stage lifted above the audience, allowing Saul to look down on the attendees. He had a chair, a glass of water, and a side table, and of course two microphones on opposite ends of the room so that attendees could ask their questions, and hopefully there'd be some good debates. After a 20-minute presentation, where Saul chastised the popular use of Eastern meditation practice, Catholics' veneration of the Mother Mary, and the eventual decline of watered-down mainline denominations, it was time for Saul's favorite segment, the open mic. There was something about a public debate that felt like a modern-day stoning. At the end of the night, Saul was shocked that people didn't just lay their cloaks at his feet in honor. This night seemed normal. The same arguments, the same retorts, the same impassioned speeches by fiery 20-year-olds, but Beneath their rehearsed monologues, hoping to trip up Saul, he saw the weakness of every position, and he exploited it every single time. But something was going to be different tonight. Uh, in the front of the line appeared an elderly man, completely out of place. He was wearing a coverall with a patch that had his name on it, and Saul immediately judged him, thinking that he looked like a caricature of a redneck. The crowd either seemed uncomfortable or entertained by this man's willingness to step up to converse. He was so out of place. The man began to speak into the microphone, but too loudly as it immediately caused feedback to reverberate through the room. This made the crowd even more excited to see what was about to happen. Good evening, sir. I'm just a janitor here at the college. Not even supposed to be in this building tonight, but I enjoyed your little talk. I guess it was just a nice coincidence. Saul interrupted him. Good sir, I do not believe in coincidences. The correct word is providence, if that is indeed what this is. Half of the crowd snickered, but the janitor just continued. Well, whatever it is, I just appreciate the opportunity to speak to you because I have a question I've been needing to be answered. Saul just stared at him, waiting for him to get on with it. The janitor said, I've been taught God is good all the time. But if God is so good, how come so many going to get to hell? Shoot, how, how come so many of us here experience hell on earth? Saul pitied the man. Yes, this is a common question, one that many of us grapple with. Theologians, though, and academics like him know that this question is called theodicy. But this poor, unlearned soul probably has never heard this term. Saul went on to share his rehearsed answer to this common question. He cited Calvin, he quoted the brothers Karamazov, and even refuted Nietzsche. Finishing this polished statement, though, he was grateful for the acoustics in this room that would allow his voice to echo loudly against the walls. Saul loved to hear his own voice. But this janitor remained at the microphone with his face looking confused and his mouth slightly open on one side. Unwilling to give up the microphone, Saul just pointed to the other side of the room, awaiting the next question, but the, uh, this elderly man declared with clarity, Sorry, mister, that answer is not good enough. Fueled by the righteous indignation that only those full of certainty can muster, Saul lashed back at this man. Not good enough? And who are you to define what is good? You're going to lecture me? Answer me this, before working here, you likely never stepped foot on a university. True? Probably not. 
Okay, so feel free to question all you want, but some of us here are speaking for God. And eyes darted back at this janitor, and he slowly stepped back, returning to the corner of the room and the shadows where he had learned to exist. The night continued as planned. After the event, Saul signed books, he sparred with more adversaries, and found his way to his car. Then driving to the hotel near the airport, Saul was ready to turn off his mind. Retreating to a passion of his, he began listening to a classic piece of literature. Tonight, it was Les Miserables. As he listened to the story, Saul thought something to himself that he hadn't considered before. Why is it that the inspector Javert gets a bad rap? Though many people have regard for Jean Valjean, you know, that thief whose soul was purchased by a priest by giving him a candlestick, Saul actually admired Javert. Why can't people appreciate his persistence to find that crook? Javert was sworn by duty to detect and punish transgressions. Whoever said it was wrong to delight in the law, someone had to make sure that what is right remains right. And then Saul heard a line from Javert that echoed in his mind. It was a line from Javert when he said, God knows it's easy to be kind. The hard thing is to be just. And Saul thought, there it is. Saul pressed pause so that line could sink in. It is too easy to be kind. This world has enough kind Christians. Someone needs to have certainty. And just then, scenes from that night began reeling in his mind like the painted white lines coming to him down that road. And Saul replayed with delight how he lambasted his critics. He reveled in the passion of his truth. How many people left knowing that they couldn't amount to his kind of intellect. And likely many more weren't even clever enough to understand what he had said in his fullness. Certainly God would have been impressed. God will bless him with a larger platforms, greater stages. Perhaps it was time to be on TV. Yet in this moment, what Saul didn't realize was that he had slowly veered into oncoming traffic. It wasn't until the lights of an approaching car blinded him that he snapped to, spun the wheel back over to the right, and flipped his car into a ravine. In the wreckage of this moment, Saul couldn't figure out if the car was flipped upside down or was it right side up. He remained suspended in the air like someone stuck in time, like someone took a Polaroid of this moment as if it would be a moment that Saul would always remember. And it was then that Saul realized that this accident had paralyzed him. Though he was attentive, he couldn't move. He had this rare experience of vulnerability, of weakness, and Saul hated feeling like a child who was disgustingly helpless. Saul's dignity was slowly draining like the liquid drained under the hood. But then a man's voice was heard in the distance. Brightness from a flashlight was bouncing from the street through the grass until it found its way to Saul's window. And he could hear a voice that was painfully familiar say, Oh dear Lord Jesus, have mercy. Saul knew this voice, but he couldn't place it. All Saul could see was an old tethered brown boots and then weathered hands perched on the ground next to the window as this man bent down to look in. Then the flickering of light revealed it was the janitor from the college. Saul felt a different kind of pain in this moment. It wasn't the throbbing of his head or the numbness of his arms. It was the pain of someone's pride being attacked. This elderly janitor seemed even more surprised than Saul. 
And this man, looking into the car, gave a crooked smile. I guess you were right. There ain't such thing as coincidence, is there? What was that word that you used? And Saul couldn't muster to even think of the word providence. Pulling Saul from the vehicle, this man, though old in age and seemingly frail, had a surprising strength. He must have had a hidden power, a blessing. And what made this moment even worse for Saul was the sheer disgrace of being held by such a man. And as he carried Saul, began to feel like the regrettable embrace of God himself. A kind of grace that lays waste to the dignity of a man of power and of certainty. By this time, an ambulance had made its way to the scene. EMS professionals pulled out the gurney, and as Saul was laid down on the bed, the medical staff asked this janitor if he knew this individual. Yes, yes I do. He's very important, a learned man. Well, what is his name, they replied. I believe his name is Paul. With the back door of the ambulance slamming shut, Paul felt something bizarre. Felt like a rush of blood flow to his head like a flood of grace cleansing, releasing, transforming, renewing. And in this moment, he heard a voice with piercing kindness, one that was powered with all that is divine, declare, Paul, why are you out to get me? You should be very careful whom you despise. They just might be your savior. And as the siren broke into the silence of the night for the first time in his life, Paul knew he was sick and needed healing. So this story is a story about transformation. It's a story about how God takes the least likely person and redeems them for a greater purpose. But the story for me that I've been wrestling with, with this week is this is also a cautionary tale. What the cautionary tale is all about is the problem of pride. Pride and self-righteousness. Saul was absolutely convinced that he was on God's side when in fact pride had blinded him. I think it was the grace of God that actually blinded Saul on that road, uh, on that road to D Damascus because after he was physically blind, maybe he could see that he was spiritually blind. This is what pride does. And so what I've been wrestling with and what I want to leave you with is this. Where does pride exist in your life? Where does self-righteousness exist in your life? Because it not only pollutes our own soul, but it also changes how we see the world and it creates enemies. And we live, we live in an antagonistic uh, culture right now. And so I, just, I think the work of the Holy Spirit is for us to be able to see clearly. So Holy Spirit, come. Come and melt our pride. Come and give us sight where we're blind. Renew us, restore us, and transform us to be your people full of grace and truth in this world. Amen.